Welcome to A Voice from the Hills Season 2, in case you missed it. I'm James Warner, co-founder of Silicon Hills Wealth Management here in Austin, Texas. And in Season 2 of A Voice from the Hills podcast, we, we filled it with risk takers, game changers, industry influencers, and personal guideposts for our clients, partners, and listeners who are simply looking to do better. Here's a sample, in case you missed it. We were joined by Samantha Russell, FMG Suite Chief Evangelist, and she joined us to talk through some of those engagement struggles that small businesses encounter, both as they as they delve into their marketing plans and as they try to develop a social media presence. So in terms of social media, you have a couple axioms too. I think it's not the five-second test. I think it's the five-for-one uh, yeah, five for one 80, model when you talk about comments and rule. posting. Can you kind of explain that to the audience? Yes. So what I always say is that when it comes to social media, so many businesses, if somebody's listening right now and they're a financial advisor or they own any kind of business, typically you're trying to build traction on social media and you might have a hundred followers to your business's Facebook page. And that's really hard to grow without throwing money at it when you have such a small network. And so people will always ask me, well, what's the secret to growing on social media? And I tell them, if I were to look at your page right now, I bet you have the media part of social media down, which is maybe once every couple of days or every day even, or once a week, you share something, right? You share media, a link to your website, your blog, whatever. But the social part is what's missing. And so the 80-20 rule tells us that for every every one thing that we post, so a blog post, a link to our website, a New York Times article, whatever, we should be leaving comments on five other people's posts. And so that's the social part of social media. Matt Ott, the executive director of Blackfret, emphasized the importance of advocacy and engagement to generate true and meaningful philanthropic impact. Forbes called Blackfret, I'm going to read off this, a symphony-style model that promotes local artists. So... Did they kind of nail that? Talk us through that advocacy model. What, from the members ultimately to the artist, how does all that flow? Thank you for that question. That's really the crux of the experiential model that I'm talking about. When you become a member of Black Fret, you're not just invited to the events. You're fully empowered to have your voice heard. You get to nominate the bands that you love. You get to come to the events meet with the musicians, meet your fellow members, and then even at the end of the year, vote for the allocation of grant dollars. Our members guide the direction of the organization. And they do so with in chorus with a couple of other really wonderful constituencies. After our first year, we made artists who'd received grants from us eligible to nominate the bands that they love. So not only we're getting the member's voice, but we're getting the voice of the artists themselves. We also have a group of really wonderful music industry professionals who comprise an advocacy or an advisory board for us. They get to nominate the bands they love. We even incorporate a couple of voices from the public, from the Austin Music Awards Best New Band and from the KUTX Bands of the Month. So between those five constituencies, I'm proud to say that each year we've had an amazingly diverse set of musicians in terms of genre, in terms of gender, in terms of race. John Narcessian, head of advisor education for PIMCO, held a masterclass in employee equity compensation. Regardless of whether the award is RSUs or options or whatever it might be, I'm going to have this vesting schedule. And and the way we always tend to look at vesting schedules is that's when I truly gain ownership of the asset. 
Mm-hmm. And that's also my first decision point. And so the way we would look at an RSU then is that vesting date and the exercise date are really the same in that, you know, once the vesting happens, we don't, we don't really have a choice on the tax matters. I mean, it's going right. to, that, you know, that amount's going to be implied in our W-2. Yeah. So would we look at an RSU the same way as we would look at a non-qualified option that we chose to exercise? Yeah, let's take a look at that. Thanks for um, bringing that up, and I love your comments. So that is the primary difference between equity uh, restricted stock awards versus option awards. With options, we have control over when we decide to exercise based on the price of the security and the timing of it and the tax implications that come with it. With the RSU, we kind of don't have that same control. I receive an award, no taxes due. When that award vests, that's when the taxable event occurs. And so there's nothing that I've done intentionally. There's no control that I'm exhibiting. It just happens when it happens based on the vesting schedule. And then at that point in time, I'm free to examine my options, my choices. I can continue to hold the shares if it's advantageous for me to do so. I can sell the shares immediately. If they're unrestricted, I can collar them or hedge them in some way if it makes sense for me to do so. I can even use them, if it made sense, to give to others as part of my wealth transfer strategy or maybe as part of my charitable strategy. Then we had the pleasure of welcoming accomplished executive, corporate attorney, and Our Tiny Rebellions publisher, Joelle Bonaparte. She discussed balancing career and family and going through life without an off button. Well, and I think employers, by and large, have been pleasantly surprised by work from home. I think they've seen productivity numbers they didn't expect. I think they've seen loyalty that they might have not trusted to begin with. So I don't don't think there's any doubt that work from home is working for the employer. But how does work from home work for the home? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I I actually... I wrote about this in our tiny rebellions, uh, I guess a couple months ago where, um, I wrote about it in the context of doing laundry (laughs) because I work in my office is in my basement. Um, it was never intended to be an office. It's kind of like a nook off my children's playroom. Um, and we also have a little laundry room down here. So I would hear the laundry machine going all day while I'm working. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm a neat freak. I can't, I can't help it. It's just who I am. Like I, my well being like rests on being clean. It's just like, it's a personality trait. Um, so I would hear it going and I, and I would just felt like I was constantly doing laundry. Like I was doing laundry on conference calls. I was multi, you know, I was folding, flipping constantly every day. And I'm like, I'm like, physically laboring while I'm mentally laboring, like all day. Like why am I doing this to myself? Our next guest was Danny Fava. Danny gave us a tour de force journey through the future of finance. We talked embedded finance, maximizing those micro moments in finance and the somewhat surprising role of the financial advisor as the superhero. The, the dream is to make the financial advisor, the hero and that the financial advisor is the one who can bring it all together and make sense of it. Even though that wealth may have been accumulated in 18 different places and you know the customer is not going to aggregate their wealth into one place or consolidate their wealth into one place, InvestNet really wants to make the advisor the superhero. And I think the superpower of an advisor in the future is the ability to bring it all together 
to make sense of it, to be able to tell that client what's the next place they can put, what's the next best place they can put their next dollar. And that place does not have to be a centralized view. It can be, you know, anywhere. And the advisor is always going to be able to bring it together and make sense of this decentralized world that we live in. Our next podcast was truly a special one. We were joined by Brian Portnoy to discuss funded contentment. We talked behavioral finance and the idea that while our situations are unique and special, our behavioral needs and challenges are really not. We all want to think, you know, our situation's special or our situation's different, or our clients yeah. are different, or our clients are special. And you actually did a thread on it the other day that was like, oh my God, we got to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, but in the behavioral context, uh, that's not really true, is it? No, it's not true. Human is human. You know, we're born with different dispositions, different set points. And, you know, are you a cheerful person? Are you a gloomy person? You know, so th- those, you know, with, I have three teenagers, so uh, I, I, I'm very much uh, in, in the world of uh, team nature versus team nurture because these three kids are completely different. We have something easy and sometimes annoying, sometimes annoying to say to these folks when they tell us our, their clients are special, which is no, they're not. From a evolutionary psychology point of view, from an applied behavioral finance point of view, they are not the slightest bit special and treating them as special is a good way for you to undermine your value proposition. Next, we were joined by Nicole Kesperson. Nicole is one of those new faces of media who reports on fintech as part curator and part reporter. You'll just love her work. You know, with so many new entries into fintech and, and different plugins and everything that's going on, how, how do you keep up? How do you identify and, and curate the ideas and the, yeah and just the things that you spotlight because there's so much. Yeah, I guess for me, because I truly do believe that like fintech can change the world for the better by giving people more access to tools that like promote financial freedom. And you know, I, I think about how fintech is this alternative to financial serve like traditional financial services. And my lens is, you know, leaders running the fintech companies are still looking and operating like traditional finance. Or if those are the only the stories that we're seeing, then you know, we're not going to change a thing. I'm here to say, hey, we can be different. We can innovate. We can, you know, build fintech teams that reflect that increasingly diverse audience that fintech is actually after. And our closer for season two of Voice from the Hills was Adam Singer. Adam was Google Analytics evangelist number one. He helped build one of the largest and most successful social media engagement platforms in history. And Adam shares his wisdom on personal and business growth, and a special perspective on how and where to focus. Well, let, let's stay on the subject of, of, of pivots and talk about uh, what do you think that companies are going to have to do? What pivots are they going to have to make to engage with tomorrow's consumers? Jeff Bezos likes to say, I, like, they build for um, what they know isn't going to change for the next 10 years or 20 years. Like they look at the world, they're like, what's not going to change? And one thing they saw was e-commerce. They're like, e-commerce isn't going to change. So instead of you know, chasing their tails on social or blockchain or whatever other buzzwords of the day, they're like, we're just going to make our e-commerce experience awesome. And I think if you can do that, you can insulate yourself from change. Our goal at A Voice from the Hills podcast, as Brian Pointer so eloquently describes it, is to help our clients, partners, and listeners underwrite a financial future of personal 
family, and career success. If you missed our first season, you can catch our In Case You Missed It for episodes one through eight. You can listen to any and all of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or whatever platform is most convenient for you. Uh, Special thanks to the people who we couldn't do this without AB for the music, Caitlin for our disclosure language, Yael and Priam for editing and distributing, and most importantly to you. Thank you for engaging with us, sharing our content, and joining us for the ride. We're excited to share our content with you, and we feel like we really have some awesome partners willing to add value to that conversation. People you don't get to hear on a daily basis. But we can only do our best work when you are here to listen. So thank you.